Welcome to Spectra. Today Adib and I are going to discuss women in literature in the context of the Bailey's Prize. Adiba, could you go over the shortlisted books for us, please? Mm -hmm. So the shortlist um, was announced about a month ago and it has uh, six books. Um, so the books are as follows. You have Do Not Say We Have Nothing by Madeleine Thien, First Love by Gwendolyn Riley, The Sport of Kings by C.E. Morgan, The Dark Circle by Linda Grant, Stay With Me by Ayubami Adebayo, and The Power by Naomi Alderman. The Bailey's Prize is a very important award for women novelists. And to celebrate that, we shared the shortlisted books among ourselves. We are putting up articles on the books on a weekly basis and you can already find some of them on the website and we will be uploading more as the prize giving approaches. In this podcast, we will be discussing why the Bailey's Prize is important, the discrimination within major book awards, and we will be speaking a little about the books we've read. To start off, uh, Deep is going to talk a little bit about the history behind the Bailey's Prize. The Bailey's Prize was originally created in 1996 and back then it was called the Orange Prize for Fiction and it was actually created as a reaction to an all-male shortlist for the 1991 Man Booker Prize. Um, and Amanda and I were kind of having a look at some of the shortlists for the Man Booker Prize back in the day and we think that um, the Bailey's Prize didn't just come about as a reaction to that one year, but as a reaction to the fact that women weren't really represented in these shortlists. So even though you did have women in most of the years, there would be maybe one for five men, which isn't really a very good ratio for, you know, every year. Yes, yes, not for every year. Yeah. It happens, it can happen, we understand, but not every single year. Yeah, exactly. So in recent years... Um, the Women's Prize for Fiction has been renamed to the Bailey's Prize since Orange dropped out or Orange signed off on its um, sponsorship and Bailey's picked up on it. Um, from next year, actually, it's not going to be called the Bailey's Prize anymore. Um, the Women's Prize for Fiction is looking for another sponsor, so hopefully they find one. Yes. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I'm sure they will. They are one of the most prestigious awards in the world. Um, but there has actually been a lot of criticism specifically for the Bailey's Prize for Fiction because people think it's, I suppose, exclusionary to have a prize that's only for women when we don't have one that's only for men. Um, one of the biggest critics of the Bailey's Prize has actually been Lionel Shriver, who is a writer, um, you might recognize her from her famous book, We Need to Talk About Kevin, which is also made into a film. Um, ironically, she won the Bailey's Prize and probably took the award. Yeah, so um, I feel, I mean, I read some of her criticism and I think she does make a few good points. Yes. Um, but overall, I feel a little bit hesitant accepting her criticism because, I mean, her name is Lionel Shriver, which is a very typically male name and until I saw her picture I assumed that she was a man um, so I think she does have a real privilege in that when you know there are a lot of women who are actually asked to 
hide their name, most famously being J.K. Rowling, who was told by her publishers that if she, instead of using her name Joan Catherine, she just shortened that to J.K., people might assume that she's a man. Um, and they will be more likely to read the books then. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because it's still, there's still a belief that a book written by a woman, it is for women. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So I do think that Shriver doesn't really see her privilege in that in that sentiment because people will assume that Lionel Shriver is a man. Um, and even like, I haven't read any of any other Lionel Shriver books. Um, I only read like the first quarter of We Need to Talk About Kevin. Um, but even, you know, like the whole kind of serial killer angle, it's a very masculine, masculine in quotation mark book, you know? Um, it's interesting because it's told from a female perspective. Um, but I think it is more typically associated with a masculine narrative than a feminine narrative. So uh, I do agree with you when you said that Lionel Shriver does make some good points. I do see that to achieve um, equality and more, I guess, connection integration, we need to stop separating female and male. It's an important thing. However, I agree with what criticism that she received from Churchwell, where she said that, I believe both are necessary because we have not yet achieved equality. When we do achieve equality, then it will be nice to have a world in which those are not necessary. Like I said, I do think there is problem separating and excluding one and, and putting people in little boxes and creating separate things based on gender. But I, I agree with Churchwell that until we actually achieve equality, this is still necessary. Yeah, I think, I think it's really problematic to only be discussing the Bailey's Prize in the context of the Bailey's Prize. So we talk about how the Bailey's Prize is problematic because we're ex- excluding men, but why aren't more people talking about the Man Booker Prize continually excluding a lot of women? Because, yeah, the Man Booker Prize isn't saying we're only for men, but the message that women aren't as welcome there as men is kind of there. That's why the Bailey's Prize was created, because they felt that message. So why aren't we discussing that, that since 1996, this is still a problem, you know, not in the Man Booker Prize necessarily, but actually in all major literary awards, you know? Yes, yes. It it changed the picture completely when you put that into perspective. Mm -hmm. Because it is easy to criticize when you're just looking at at the Bailey's Prize alone, but when you compare across the board, the picture is different. And we have data, data, we have data to prove it. Yeah, so um, let's actually start off with the Man Booker Prize, since that is... um, where the Bailey's Prize was created from. Um, So what I did was I looked at all of the winners of the Man Booker Prize from 1969 all the way to 2016. So how many books is that in total? That's 50 50 books in total because in 1974 and in 1992, there were two winners awarded. So... Among 50 books and 50 awards, only 14 women have won the award. So that is 
28%, which I'm just going to let that sink in for a moment. 28%, okay, 14 out of 50. Um, and just even looking at the breakdown in terms of um, people of color versus um, white people that have won the award, 20% um, of the winners were writers of color. So that is 10 out of 50. Um, and out of that, only two were women of color. So that is 4% of the entire history of the Man Booker Prize. Only 4% of women of color have won the prize, which to me is a ridiculous statistic. Yes, we do have to take into consideration that, that um, things did change and, and those who won, who are people of color, are on the new generation more so than the older one, considering what was going on at the time, I guess. But, I mean, if we take that into consideration, should we not be saying, well, in, say, 1969 to 1979, we were incredibly racist people, so to make up for that, we're going to give more consideration to people of colour? Clearly not. Mm. Valid point. To break that down a little more, actually, um, out of all of the winners who were people of colour, um, three were black and all of them were men, which is also quite problematic. Um, one person was Jewish, which um, is quite problematic as well because Jewish people are not very represented anywhere. No. Um, six out of 50 were Asian and only one of them were women. Um, only one of them were East Asian. The majority of them, I think, were Indian. Um, and one was Latino. There was nobody from South America at all. Um, the person who was Latino was actually, I think, he was Caribbean. Um, that was V.S. Nepal, who is from Trinidad. Just to clarify, um, is this award international so that means translations are included or it's just for, written in English because that could be something to affect the statistics so this award is actually um, it is international international um, in quotation marks international um, but as far as I'm aware it doesn't take into um, account translations I know recently the Man Booker Prize actually launched the Man Booker Prize International which um, is only for translations. And I also find that quite problematic. I do think it's great that the Man Booker Prize is promoting trans literature and translation, um, but I don't really understand why it has to be done separately from the original Man Booker Prize. Instead of being part of the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. And is that recent years that they brought up a bit more focus on the translations? I think so, because I've only seen it, I think, for the last year or two. But okay. I would have to fact check that. Um, another thing I noticed was there were a couple of winners from South Africa, but all of them were white, which is... like I know that there are obviously a lot of white people in South Africa, but um, they are actually a minority. Um, 
So it is, it, it strikes me as quite strange that there have been no black winners from South Africa. Yes, I found that quite peculiar as well, considering the ratio mm-hmm. between white and black people. Uh, in the Bailey's Prize, it's, we had 21 winners so far, and three of them were people of colour, and two of them were black women, which I find quite problematic, because there are many writers of colour and of other ethnicities who, are, who write in English and should at least be included on selection, on, on the uh, competition itself. But they weren't. I think we also need to consider the fact that the prize isn't necessarily where the discrimination is happening. So there is a lot of discrimination within the literary industry itself and are there agents accepting books from women of color? Are these agents um, then being able to submit these books to the publishers? Are the publishers accepting? Are they putting budget behind these books? You know, like all of this comes into play. Um, and we're seeing a lot of these results in the awards because women of color are not being represented. So the problem comes way before the awards itself. The, the, the situation with awards is just a reflection of the mindset that comes behind it. Well, I don't necessarily think so. I think that it's all mixed together. So okay. I don't think it's right for us to say, well, the Bailey's Prize, like it's doing fine, you know, it's had whatever, like, how, what was the percentage? 14%. It's had 14% of women of color writers and they're doing their best. You know, I'm sure that they are putting in some sort of an effort, but we have to ask, is it enough? Could they be doing better? Because there are books that are out there. It's not like there aren't books out there. There should definitely be more books. There should be more budget behind these books. But I think it's all something that comes together to be a problem, you know? Um, like, it's not... People aren't pushing from the start, and they should be, but people maybe also aren't pushing at the end, and they yes, should be. Yes, where, where we see it being played out, where we're exposed to, to the results, and they could do something about it to bring awareness to the issue itself mm-hmm. once it's noticed. Yeah, exactly. Another thing that we were actually discussing is um, how we found that a lot of the books that actually win these awards, whether by men or by women, they tend to be from a male perspective or from the perspective of both men and women. Um, Very rarely do they tend to be from a female perspective or at least the percentages are a bit skewed. Um, So we actually found some statistics on some of these uh, major book awards. So between 2000 and 2014, there have been two books written by women from a female perspective there have been there has been one book written by women about both perspectives and there have been three books written by women about from a male perspective um from men there have been zero books written from uh both perspectives there has been zero books written from a female perspective and there have been nine books written from a male perspective So as you can see, the statistics are a little bit skewed. Just a little bit. (laughs) Yes. It's quite interesting. It goes back to what we were saying about um, when the book is written, either by a woman, it's perceived as being for women, or when the main character is a female, 
it's also being perceived as a book for women, which is not the case. It's important to be exposed to various different perspectives. Why is it okay for, for me as a woman then to read a book where there's a male perspective written by a male, but then it's not, it's not seen with the same light a man reading a book by a woman from a woman's perspective, for, sorry, from a female perspective, or by a man who wrote from a female perspective. Why? Why there is that difference? Mm-hmm. Which is why I'd be interested to see if the Bailey's Prize actually does better in terms of having more female perspectives being represented. Well, it's 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 pretty, you know, balanced. Um, out of the 21 books that won awards, eight were from a female perspective, eight from a male perspective, and five from both. You can see on the Men Booker Prize that the men who won were all wrote from a perspective. None of them have written for both or from a female perspective. And on the Bailey's Prize, they were all females and they wrote from both perspectives. Mm-hmm. Men tend to write from a male perspective, but women tend to write from both, nearly on an equal basis. The Men Book Prize... The, the difference wasn't so big. Neither was uh, with the Bailey's Prize. They both had female, nearly the same writing from both perspectives. Why is that? I think it's because um, in our society, we are expected to see male perspective as like the neutral perspective. But we see female perspectives as female perspectives. So, you know, it's like male perspective for everyone. Female perspective only for women. So I think that's where the problem arises because women have to see the male perspective, but men don't have to see the female perspective all the time. You know, they can just be like, oh, like the male perspective is for everyone. But if I see a female perspective, then I'm gay. You know, that, oh, that's kind of like the, the mindset. Yeah, the yeah, stereotype. Exactly. Um, a couple more awards here, actually. Um, if you look at the National Book Award, which I think is an American award, but it's also a very prestigious award for books. Um, about the same statistics as the Man Booker Prize um, from 2000 to 2014 again. Um, books by men, about men from male perspectives, eight. Books by women from a female perspective, two. Books by women about both, three. Books by men about, from a female perspective, zero. Books by men about both, one, and books by women from a male perspective, two. So basically the same statistic as the man Booker. Um, the Pulitzer, that's a big one too, probably one of the biggest ones in the world. Um, one, unsure which perspective, whoever made this was a bit confused, I guess, <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, by women from a female perspective, zero okay by women from both perspectives three by men from a female perspective zero by men from both perspectives zero by women from a male perspective three and by men about from a male perspective eight so what we can gather from this is men really don't like writing from a female perspective Or maybe they don't know how to write from a female perspective. Or maybe it's perceived 
because um maybe it's because they are not gonna be selling as much if they write from female perspective maybe they think they're not capable of writing from a female perspective this is the thing though i don't think that's the case because why when men do write from a female perspective even if it's not just a female narrative even when it's both they're actually praised for it like if you look at george r r martin right he's a very well-known author um i mean he's probably not winning like the pulitzer because that's a little bit more like highbrow literature and game of thrones isn't considered highbrow literature um we could have a podcast on that another day i guess <laughs> um but you know um george r r martin is often asked like oh you write female characters so well like how do you do it and he he's kind of like sitting there in his manly whatever way and he's like i just consider women to be people and people consider this like revolutionary like did you not know that women were people why is that revolutionary it shouldn't be at this time and age as but, far as i'm concerned we all people but that's the thing like i think men are often praised for being able to write women well and they're not criticized for not being able to write women well because most male writers i feel first of all a lot of them don't attempt to write women as anything other than love interests and second of all when they do they don't do it particularly well they're quite two dimensional yeah i think so and they really like they really play up like the whole sexual thing yes which is pretty tiring yeah so i think this is definitely something that needs to be addressed like why are men so uncomfortable writing from a female perspective and why are women expected almost to write from a male perspective in order to win awards because they're not winning as many awards when they write from a female perspective and they're not praised and and treated like that as like whoa you're amazing from writing for writing from a male perspective the only time i've seen the whole like you write women well being brought up is when it's a man i mean george r r martin was one example I know that this is not a book but I know that Hayao Miyazaki who is um who makes movies for Studio Ghibli he is often praised for being able to write female characters really well and I mean I love his books or his sorry his movies yeah. I love his movies and I think he does female characters absolutely wonderfully but again the question is why do we keep asking men this question like first of all it's such a stupid question Like, like it's a stupid question to go how do you write women so well like women can write women well yes. women are just people like you know And they are women write about women write men um sorry women write male perspective well and they don't get praised i don't see i don't i never heard such a thing as a, a comment saying oh you write male male perspective so well well done to you it's not it's not a thing no. but if you if you're going to follow the same logic you kind of saying like a man doesn't have a female perspective and he's able to write so well that's great but then you should value the women the same way mm-hmm. but we are not doing that why yeah. and i think it's it's just really ridiculous to be praising writers especially for being able to write a perspective that's different from yours because you're a writer that's your job i agree i agree and and i agree i think i think the writer's job is to try to understand a different perspective which is why like it's crazy to me that male writers they can write like murderers and you know aliens and who knows what else but for some reason writing from a female perspective is so damn crazy <laughs> it, yes it doesn't make any sense it it really doesn't make any sense 
But I think it does highlight, like, why the Bailey's Prize is important. Because, I mean, here, because men are winning most of these awards, not only are we mostly seeing male winners, but we're also mostly seeing male perspectives. Because even female winners are encouraged to write from a male perspective. But for the Bailey's Prize, obviously, we're seeing all women winners. The writers are also encouraged to write from any perspective, you know? There aren't as many limitations, I feel. So in light of that conversation about um, the Bailey's Prize maybe highlighting more female perspectives, let's have a look at a few of the previous winners that we know and maybe we've read a few of their books. Um, so one of them is Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. What book did she win for? She won half half of a yellow sun. Okay, and I know that she was shortlisted, I think, the year before or the year before that. Um, yeah, I ha- she, she showed up a few times. Mm-hmm. So I haven't actually read Half of a Yellow Sun, but I did read The Purple Hibiscus, and I read her book, We Should All Be Feminists, and I listened to that TED Talk. Half of a Yellow Sun is from a female perspective, isn't it? It's from both. From both perspectives, yeah. Um, the Purple Hibiscus was from a female perspective. Um, so I think there we do see an example of female perspectives being kind of highlighted. And obviously Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie is a very outspoken feminist. Um, her very famous TED Talk. Um, she's actually pu- recently published another kind of feminist book following on from We Should All Be Feminists. I can't remember the name exactly now. She faced some criticism for that, but that's for another podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie is definitely a writer who is a champion for feminism, is a champion for female perspectives, I feel. Um, she tackles a lot of like Nigerian issues within her books as well. I think immigrant issues as well. That wasn't prominent in The Purple Hibiscus, but I think it might have been in Half a Yellow Sun. Um... Yeah, I'm a big fan of of her work. I think she's a great writer. Definitely a deserved winner. I did see her TED Talk, but I haven't... Oh, yeah, and I did read the the book that followed the TED Talk as well, but I haven't read anything else yet. Okay. Um, we previously mentioned Lionel Shriver. We were a bit critical of her. Um, you read... We need to talk about Kevin, did you? Or your sister read My it. sister read, but it feels like I have read because she told me every single detail of it. She would read a chapter and, you know, tell me the whole story. So I kind of co-read it. Okay. Um, I, I did say previously that I think we need to talk about Kevin. It's a stereotypically masculine, masculine in quotation marks, books. Um... I do think it's interesting because just as Lionel Shriver's book is quite stereotypically masculine, I feel like Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's book, The Purple Hibiscus, is can be considered quite stereotypically like feminine. Um, it's very kind of about societal issues, about familial issues. Um, it ta- it looks into like domestic abuse, which is often considered a female issue quotation marks quotation marks I don't think it should be um so I do I find I find that quite interesting um another winner Barbara Kingsolver um what book did she win for the lacuna uh yeah okay the lacuna okay um is that from a male or a female male perspective male perspective okay um 
I'm also a big fan of Barbara Kingsolver. I, I haven't read The Lacuna yet, but I did read The Poisonwood Bible, which was published quite a while ago. And I read another book by her, the name of it, of which I can't remember. Um, but Barbara Kingsolver, The Poisonwood Bibles, um, it's a fantastic book and it's told from mostly female perspective. And it's about like these sisters kind of fighting against a patriarchal figure. Um, I find it interesting that she was nominated for a book from a male perspective. I can't really comment on it considering I haven't read it. But every book that I've read by King Solver has been from a female perspective. Um, so I do find it interesting that she was nominated for a male perspective. But yeah, I mean, another fantastic writer, to be honest. I'm a big fan of King Solver. What I'd like to add to this is that um, it's nice to see in recent years more women being valued and praised for their work and seeing women entering literature a bit more and, you know, have... And the fact that we are able to have these discussions and shine a light on the issues and, and there are other people doing that as well on a much bigger scale. I find that quite motivational. I find, and and uh, it gives me hope and it, it's nice to see things changing and women speaking up a bit more on, and issues being addressed. Mm -hmm. And what I also like is that there are women writers who are addressing this issue as well. Um, Amanda and I, we actually had the privilege of having an interview with Ayobami Adebayo, which will be going up on the website sometime, sometime soon. Um, but we did ask her a little bit about the Bailey's Prize and about women's prizes for fiction. And, you know, she I think she was quite encouraging about it. Um, she spoke about, you know, kind of like disparities between uh, men and women within the literary industry. Um, so I do think, like, it's encouraging to see that women are willing to address that this is an issue and they're willing to hopefully support other women as well, which is one of the reasons why I was disappointed with Lionel Shriver, not to shine the light on her even more. <laughs> yes. Yes, um, Ayobami also said that um, she was she felt quite lucky that she, she got a good agent quite early on and got great mentors and found that other writers were like like you're saying helping helping her as well so it, it it seems that there's been having a shift and people are coming more together and helping each other mm -hmm. from from what i've the little i've seen and the little i've heard that's how it feels like and it's it's a nice feeling it, it feels that things are changing and this competition between women is changing as well it's slowly but it feels like it's becoming more of a community let's help each other grow because there's a space for growth and I, I do think it's really lovely to see women helping women, considering in society we're often encouraged to be in competition with each yeah. other. Um, so a little while ago, when the Muslim ban was ongoing in America, um, there is an Irish poet called Doreen Negrifa, who on Twitter sent out a tweet saying that if there were any women of colour in Ireland who were looking for mentorship, she would be offering a free mentorship programme. To help them with their writing um, and the only reason why I found out about this was because somebody that I had never spoken to like a woman on Twitter that I had never spoken to literally tagged me in the tweet and said are you interested and I thought like that was amazing because I do I, I write a fair bit and I post about it on Twitter um, but this was a person I had never spoken to I don't know Doreen Negrifa um, but it was nice to be considered you know and it was nice that she was making that offer and that she was willing to try and help out a woman of color 
especially in a country where there aren't that many women of color as well. And she did not have to do that. Exactly. She did out of her own goodwill, which is nice to see. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's one example that I was party to. Um, so that makes me hopeful that there have been loads of other examples of women helping women. Moving on from that, we would like to discuss a little bit about the books we've read, trying to not give too many spoilers. We'll also be playing a few clips from some of the others in the Spectre team as well. So Adiba, considering that you've read three out of six books, would you like to start by telling us about them a little bit? Yeah, so um, the first book I read was The Power by Naomi Alderman. Um, I really enjoyed The Power until I got to a certain point, but I'll come back to that later. So the power, it follows the story of women um, suddenly getting this power, which is that they can emit electricity out of their hands. And it kind of just happens randomly one day. Um, It arises in teenage girls, and then they start kind of arising this power in adult women as well. And from then on, any girl who is born has this power. Um, And it kind of, like, ultimately, it is a book about kind of women taking over the world. I really like the framing of the book because the way it was framed was that it was actually a book proposal for somebody else. And the book proposal, or the book itself, was written by a man being sent to a woman named Naomi. So, you know, with that frame, it almost seemed like what happened there? Did the man write this book and then a woman took over? You know, and it's like... That's interesting. Yeah, Yeah, it does. I'm just like, whoa, I didn't know any of this. (laughs) Were you hiding information? That's what I was thinking. (laughs) But yeah, I just, I found the framing of it really, really interesting. And I think that's what made me kind of want to read on because I was just like, this is really cool. This framing device. I hadn't really seen it much before. So that was really, really interesting. Um, There was also, there was a bit of... um, a confusion between whether the book was completely fiction, a little bit non-fiction, because there were kind of pictures provided of like devices used to test power and things like that. So in a lot of ways, it almost seemed a little bit like anthropological. Um, and it was also a bit suggested that there were bits of anthropology included in the book. Um, and the, this male writer, male in quotation marks, um, was saying that this was how the world used to be before, um, that men used to be in power, and then this power changed everything. So in the beginning of the book, you know that we exist in a world where women are actually in power. And Naomi, not Naomi the author, but Naomi the book agent, I guess, um, is kind of like, oh, how could this be? How could men be in power, like in the past? So it was it was a really really interesting framing device. So it's a book about a book. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. I, yeah. Now I got it. I was like, what the hell is going on in this book? <laughs> this sounds fascinating, but I'm getting a bit confused. Okay. Yeah, you kind of have to read it to get it. It's difficult to explain. Especially but... because the name of the two of them is the same. Yeah. The right. Which, which was a really interesting device because at the near the end of the book, and this isn't really a spoiler, but um, near the end of the book. Um, the male quotation marks writer kind of says, um, I'm a bit afraid about publishing this because, you know, male writers, they don't really get much recognition. And Naomi, 
the book agent, not the writer, <laughs> says, um, would you consider publishing under a female name? So it makes you question, is the book supposed to be the man writing as a female or has the book been stolen by Naomi? Hmm. Which is something that used to happen to women back in the day. So Interesting. It's That's... a really interesting framing device. I think the way she did it is kind of genius. I really like that. My brain's like, whoa, that's, that's really cool. I've never, I've never seen something like that before. No, I, I don't think I have either. So it is like, it's very innovative. It's very interesting. Um, that was probably like the most fascinating thing about the book. I mean, there were a lot of other things, the way the power was developed. Um, the fact that it was something so little, but it made such a huge change in the world. Um, it was really believable as well. My main problem, though, with the book was that it really wasn't very globalized. So um, most of the narratives in this book were female. Um, the three main characters that kept coming back were Ali, who became Mother Eve later on in the book, um, Roxy, and Margot. There were a few other characters um, who narrated, but they had smaller roles. Um, the one dominant male perspective was Tund. I'm not sure that's how you pronounce his name. Um, and he was a journalist. So I had a problem with this because this journalist Tund, the dominant male perspective, was going around to different parts of the world, um, mostly in the East, and he was documenting what the women there were doing, which would be fine if we had a narrative from a woman in the East. So my problem is why were all of the dominant narratives by women from women in the West? Especially because women in the East were really not written very well, in my opinion. Um, there was a scene that really bothered me, which was um, towards the beginning of the book where Tan goes to Saudi Arabia and there's a huge revolution going on there. Women have discovered, they have the power. And these women, they're not concerned very much or seem to be concerned very much with the fact that, you know, in Saudi Arabia, there's obviously like a lot of women's rights issues. They're kind of like, oh, you know, we're free, blah, blah, blah. She doesn't really go into like what this freedom means for them. She focuses on the fact that this one woman, Noor, ends up having sex with Tund, which is like, so women, Saudi women have been liberated and their first thing is, I'm going to have sex with the first man I see. Like, that's not Muslim women. I'm sorry to tell you, as a Muslim woman, that is not us. Not, yeah. Yeah. Just because you think Muslim women are sexually repressed, that's not actually the case. And that doesn't mean that once you get freedom, that's the first thing you're going to do. Yeah, exactly. And I think it was also problematic because for a lot of the women in the West, their, their kind of rise to power was a direct reaction to the fact that they faced a lot of sexual violence. And it's kind of ignoring the fact that a lot of Saudi women face sexual violence. Yeah. Like, domestic violence is not um, against the law in Saudi Arabia. So do you really think that women in Saudi Arabia who have probably been subjected to domestic violence are going to rise up and say, you know what, I just want to have sex with men. That's not what they're going to do. Like, that's just not realistic. No, it's not realistic. At all. Oh. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, so, like, overall, it was, it was a really interesting book. I think it did some things really well. Other things, it did not do so well. I like what you said about the framing. I found that fascinating, really fascinating. 
but that part really bothers me as well i'll give it a try um picking up from what you said about your book there's something similar in the book i read which is called do not say we have nothing by madeleine fien where the, there was a book inside the book as well so a lot of this pretty much the whole story was around this book well all the lives were ended up being connected because of this book it, this book kind of brought people together and kept them together and kept their memories alive even though it wasn't their story but they as the years went by they were feeding in the book because they uh, copied by hand the book made copies of it and so on and so forth the book wasn't fin didn't have a beginning or an ending there were a few chapters and the story was set during mao's time where there was the revolution and communism rise and books were burned they were only allowed certain literature which was decided by the government mainly made by the government they weren't allowed western literature and a lot of a lot of chinese literature that was considered uh, criminal and against their ideology were destroyed so the the whole book was around that i absolutely loved the book I found very reflective. There was a lot of existential um, reflections on it. And the characters questioning themselves, their doubts, um, their roles, um, dealing with a lot of their fears and moral values and all that internal conflict and not knowing what to do with all of that was quite fascinating. I don't know how to say much about it without spoiling it, so I won't. It just it's a brilliant book it was really well written i loved how she used a lot of uh, bits of poetry throughout the book as well as reference to classical music and and um, yeah that was a big part music and literature was a big part of the the characters lives and it was also what connected them and what kept them going even when they were not physically um, involved with music anymore due, due to what was going on because music wasn't allowed either there was only a selected few kinds of music that they could play pieces of music that they could listen to and play music was still part of them in some shape or form and I found that really powerful and I loved the way she used the Chinese um, writing and like different characters that meant something completely different when brought together had a completely different meaning and I found that really nice because I've never really I've seen Chinese um, characters writing before, but I've never really understood them obviously. And you know, having that little bit throughout the book, it felt quite special. It took me a while to get into the book because there's like parallels lives going on, and you go in the past and then you go in the future. I mean, sorry, in the present. So we're in the present and past and present and past. And it took me a while to get used to that, but once I got used to that, it was really, really nice. And you could, whenever the chapter changed from the present to the past, you could feel the shift in the weight as well. Whenever we went back to the past, it felt heavier and kind of cloudy in some ways. And when you're back to the present, had a lighter feeling to it. The way she was writing just felt different. So it was really, really nice. I'm not sure what else I could say about it. So you said that um, the book was within a book. 
Or there was a book within a book. Yes, there okay. was a book within the book. So the book within the book, um, it was like a family book where they all wrote the entire family. No, it was a novel that nobody knew who wrote. But these, these um, um this writer who was uh, called Wen the Dreamer, he used he did callig- calligraphy, and he used to copy chapters of the book and send to this woman that he was pretty much in love with who ended up being his wife which he happened straight away so it's not a spoiler <laughs> and um and from that like became part of their lives this book and as the time progressed and things happened they start inserting pieces of their own lives in the book and locations in the book so they could find each other and they could keep a record of their family in it without making it factual because they weren't allowed. So they kept there. And if the book was found, you still had the memory, but only the people in that family would know. Only people who had come in contact with that book would know what it meant. Anybody else wouldn't know, wouldn't have a clue. They would think it was just a novel and whatever. They wouldn't know that within the novel, there was a lot of reality in it that there was a lot of real people inserted there they wouldn't know that it was quite clever the way she did it i really love the book within the book it feels like i've read the book and it's a part of me too you know it will, she did it a brilliant job it sounds like a really interesting book it's yeah. beautiful I don't think I have read a book that has as many reflections as this one well not in a long time anyway it's amazing the way it was very realistic how how the characters went through lives and through situations and really reflecting on their actions or inactions and the meaning of their existence and what they can do with it. Sounds good. Okay. So speaking of a great book, <laughs> um, we were speaking before about Ayubami Adebayo and how we had the privilege of having an interview with her. Um, so I read her book stay with me and I thought it was fantastic I really really liked it um stay with me it's kind of um about motherhood and it's about how a lot of women are kind of expected to be mothers so it follows the story of Yedida and she lives in Nigeria she's quite young she's married um she works as a hairdresser um but her main problem seems to be the fact that she can't have a child Um, And it's a problem for both her and her husband. And there's a lot of pressure within the book for her to conceive a child. And the book actually starts with her being introduced to um, her husband's second wife. So her in-laws kind of come into her house and they say to her, this is your husband's second wife because you can't give him a baby. He needs to have a baby. So she doesn't really have a say in this. Um, He doesn't seem to have much of a say in it as well, even though he does have more of a say than she does. Um, And she kind of spirals after that because she is somebody, we learn, who has grown up in a family that is polygamous and her mother died when she was um, born. So she's never had a mother. She's never really felt that connection. She's had lots of stepmothers, but they've all had like their own biological children. And they've never considered her as that kind of a family, you know. So she she feels quite distant from her family. Um, 
it seems that she never feels like she's connected to someone in that way. Um, and that when she's introduced to the second wife of her husband, she feels quite betrayed by her in-laws and by her husband. So she seems to have this attitude that if she has a child, her life will just become better because her child will have to love her. Her child will have to be, or she will have to be the child's everything. She will always be wanted. Um, and yeah, I mean, she kind of has a lot of issues that come from that. There's so much pressure on her. Um, you do see her kind of unravel. Um, there's, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's quite a sad book. But at the same time, I, I think the way that she writes the book, it's not actually that sad. There's like a lot of lightheartedness to it. Um, so you don't really feel so bogged down by the tragedy, you know? So I think that's a really interesting way of writing because I remember I told you, Amanda, about the book and you're kind of like, this book is such a tragedy. Um, but it's not actually like when you read it, you don't feel like especially depressed, even though there are a lot of sad things that happen within the book. The way that she writes it, she does kind of like merge um, a little bit of happiness into all of these sad things that happen. So I think it's it's a really nice book to read. Um, yeah, so I really enjoyed the book as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think I can say much more without giving away spoilers. There is like, there are a couple of twists within the book that I just, I did not <laughs> see it coming at all, to be honest. Um, so it is like, it's a very interesting book. I'd recommend it to everyone. And of all three books that I read, um, I, I would give that one the Bailey's Prize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really good. And the interview of her was fascinating. Yeah. I have to say it's a tight fight because do not say we have nothing really touched my heart. I don't know which one I would choose. Um, so the third book that I read, it's called The Sport of Kings by C.E. Morgan. I'm actually not completely finished with it. I'm like... 70% through, so almost there. Um, and it's it's a doorstopper as well. It's quite big, so you can't blame me for not having finished it. <laughs> it's quite long. Considering it's your third book. Yeah, considering it's my third book and it's a doorstopper. Um, so The Sport of Kings, it's interesting. It's kind of about the southern part of the USA, um, where obviously um, there were a lot of slaves back in the day. Um, it's still populated by a lot of black people because of um, all of the slave owners there. Um, it is kind of about race relations. Um, so it looks at um, the Forge family um, and their kind of estate. Um, I can't remember exactly the city where they are or the town where they are. Um, but it is like about their estate. They're quite rich. They have a big house. Um, and it's kind of following their family through a few generations. Um, you see that they have had a slave for a while. Um, in the present day, they don't really have a slave anymore, but they still have a lot of black people in their employ who they don't necessarily treat very well. Um, mm. But I think what I find interesting about it is that, um, so when Henry Forge's um, father dies, he has a very um, complicated relationship with his father. Um, and when his father dies, he turns their farm into a um, horse farm. He starts breeding horses in order to race them. And his father used to be completely against this. You know, they had a huge 
thing about it. He was absolutely against it. Um, but he decides to be a little rebel right after his father dies. He does every he changes the entire thing and he starts breeding uh, his horses. Um, and there's a lot of I mean Henry Forge is definitely like a total white supremacist because he instills in his daughter Henrietta all of these like kind of horrid ideas about black people, but also about women. So I think I find that really interesting because um, Henrietta is a girl, but he kind of has this attitude that she's she's a girl, but she's more like a boy. And he actually says this to her, you know, he's like, yeah, you're a girl, but, you know, you're more like a boy, you know? <laughs> Just, so yeah, because, like, he, she's the only offspring that he has. Um, and I think, like, the comparison there is between black people and horses because horses are obviously their animals and in the book the horses are treated so much better than the black people you know um and I think I, I do think that it's like a great examination because of the past yeah, yeah because of the past where animals are I mean a lot of the time black people were considered animals worse than animals and in this book they're treated worse than animals um Actually, I'm going to draw like a really weird parallel here, but the movie Get Out um, was, I mean, it was a brilliant movie, first of all, um, but, I that, seen it. but that did like a good examination into that as well, because at the beginning of the movie, um, the main character is driving to his white girlfriend's um, parents' house, and in the middle of the road, they ru- run into a deer, and later on, we find out that the father of his girlfriend like hunts deer and stuff and he has this like attitude that it's like we need to get rid of all the deer etc etc and again like there's a very strong parallel drawn there between um animals and black people where a lot of white people actually consider black people to be animals or even worse than in a lot of cases and i think this book really works on those parallels very heavy book to read Yes. Um, I will say, if you do plan to read this book, um, very heavy trigger warning, because there are some really horrific scenes of rape. So, I mean, I was not expecting that, and it really threw me. So, yeah, I'd be very aware of that going into it. Good to know. <laughs> um, so that was the, the, those were the books that Amanda and I read. Um, so now we're going to play a few clips from Kenneth and Katharina, who will be speaking about the books that they read. The Dark Circle by Linda Grant is a brilliant novel set in a sanatorium where two Jewish twins post-World War II have been sent after being diagnosed with tuberculosis. Um, what I really, really loved about this novel is that Grant's writing style is really engaging. Um, she has kind of an ironic sense of humour, um, but also has a great um, knack for insightful descriptions, not just of the character's environment, but also of their psychological landscape and how they're feeling, um, what they're thinking, what they think is going to happen to them next. Um, also, one thing that I thought was really interesting about this novel that I hadn't expected is that it really deals with kind of um, post-World War II anti-Semitism, which I hadn't realised was such a big issue, um, because the the 
twins are treated differently and kind of viewed differently as a result of their being Jewish, whereas I always kind of expected that post-Holocaust attitudes toward the Jewish community would have been more um, understanding, more positive and less prejudiced. Um, I think that the characters and the relationships between them is really what ties the book together. It's just really... Um, cool to see people from all different social classes and backgrounds interacting with each other in this place where you know they they're kind of imprisoned they have nowhere to go apart from just sit there and hope that the cure will come in time to save their lives um so you get people you know working class people interacting with ladies with um decorated army captains and it's just a interesting experimental melting pot um, so I think that um, I would highly recommend it to anyone. I think um, that it's a very strong candidate for the Bailey's Prize this year. And um, yeah. First Love is a very interesting book. It's very short and it doesn't have um, a traditional linear structure like a lot of other novels. It's the story of Neve, who is a 30-something-year-old writer and she's in a marriage with Edwin, who's an older man. And the relationship is extremely toxic, from Edwin's side at least. Um, he treats her horribly, and the story is told from Neve's perspective as she navigates this, I suppose. Um, it's very interesting because she doesn't dwell upon it all that much. It kind of deals with her family relationships, like her relationship with her mother, with her father who dies. Um... It explores that and how, I guess, it led to how where she got to be now. Except that uh, the author, Gwendolyn Riley, does not exactly explain how, why this happened or why it has come to be this way. It's quite a cryptic story. And the reader is left to make up their own mind about events and how why things turn out the way they are. It's not explained why Neve stays with Edwin or why she even married him and fell in love with him in the first place um, as far as the reader can see he doesn't have any redeeming qualities so it's a very interesting take on an abusive relationship um, and a very good insight the dialogue is excellent the writing is very good my criticism of it would be that it is quite confusing at the end it's quite unsatisfying there isn't really a strong plot arc nothing really changes from beginning to end um it's yeah it's a very cryptic book but very interesting at the same time so thank you Kenneth and Katharina for sending in those clips about the books that you read okay so I think that is the end of our podcast for today thank you so much for listening I hope you have enjoyed as much as we did it was a very interesting discussion to have and if you have any any things to add, any, any comments, please send us an email or a Facebook message or a Twitter message and we'll get back to you. And we will read any comments on the beginning of our next podcast as well. At the bottom of the podcast, you can find the links of our research and links for the books and any relevant links that we use to record this podcast. So make sure to look out for the winner of the Baby's Prize on the 7th of June. because That's when the prize giving ceremony is. We're all really looking forward to it. We can battle it out to see which of our books wins. <laughs> <laughs> and keep an eye on our, on our page as we are going to be 
posting more articles on the books we've read as well we are doing a uh, countdown with some of the our favorite quotes from the books mm-hmm. and make sure you watch out for the interview with Ayabami Adebayo because it was a great interview it was amazing something that we will never forget I was so starstruck so thank, thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time bye, bye.